Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. The story starts when I'm eight years old. Our little family of four is taking its first mega road trip, a two-week adventure from our Wisconsin cul-de-sac to the East Coast. The destination is Connecticut, where my aunt, uncle, and cousins live. And after all our driving, their home turns out to be something of a wonderland. It's a rambling two-story house on the edge of a forest, and the family has more kids than my family has people. Lots of energy and big busy meals and things to do. During the week that we're there, my cousin Nikki and I develop a board game addiction. We can't stop playing Monopoly. We hole up in the finished basement, sitting on the carpeting, moving our pieces around the board for hours on end. As soon as one of us goes bankrupt, we immediately start another game so that no one else can join in, especially our little sisters. We are apart from the crowd, and that's just fine with us. On the wall above where we're sitting is a poster. It's a poster of a, of a poem called Desiderata. The poem is a full page of advice, including advice to avoid loud people. Nikki and I are following this suggestion admirably in our downstairs lair. A note at the bottom of the poster says the poem was written in the 1600s and was found on the wall of an old church in Baltimore. To me, the poem's wisdom seems timeless. Seven years later, I am 15 years old. My family is back in Connecticut, this time for a winter visit to the cousins. Nikki and I are no longer addicted to Monopoly, but I do make a point to go down to the rec room in the basement. The poster of the poem is still there. I read it again, and this time, my more mature mind wants to take the advice with me. I don't know when I might ever run across it again, and I seem to recall taking the time to handwrite the words into a notebook. The wisdom accompanies me home. Nine years after that, I'm 24 years old. I'm on my first big solo road trip, and I'm heading to the East Coast. My destination is Washington, DC, and I meet up with cousin Nikki, so she and I can play tourist in the nation's capital. On the way, my road trip takes a meandering route, dipping down to North Carolina so I can visit some friends. There in a gift shop in the Blue Ridge Mountains, I'm surprised to find a suitable for framing copy of Desiderata. The design is not exactly my style with a maroon and blue mat and elaborate calligraphy. I could tell that one of my friends was trying to keep her eyebrows from betraying her opinion. But this was way before you could Google a poem or custom order one on Etsy. And the design didn't matter to me nearly as much as the words. I didn't know when I would ever run across it again. So I bought it. And again, I brought the wisdom home. This month at the First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, we're exploring the idea of stillness. When I learned that this was our December theme, my first thought was, go placidly amid the noise and haste the opening phrase of Desiderata. 
It's a poem that has followed me around throughout my life. A poem whose phrases have popped into my head with regularity. A poem that I've had a bit of an up and down relationship with. And a poem that I find largely consistent with humanist values. As ancient stories and traditions inform our winter holidays, this is an especially good time of year to reflect on texts that we may have heard all our lives. We can bring some of those ideas with us, the ones that complement our core values and commitments that remain unchanged. We might need to leave other ideas behind as our perspectives and theologies evolve with experience and greater knowledge. For me, Desiderata provides a useful lens for looking back and for explaining the present. And perhaps hearing a bit more about it will bring up parallels in your own life. Before I go on, let's cover some basics about Desiderata. First of all, the title is Latin and means things desired. The title frames the poem not as commandments, but as aspirations, the way we might desire to be in the world. And despite what countless posters and greeting cards may have said in decades past, the poem did not originate in 17th century Baltimore. Desiderato was actually composed in 1927 by a lawyer turned writer from Indiana, a man named Max Ehrman. The confusion about the date of the publication arose in the early 1960s. There was a church rector in Baltimore. That was when a church rector in Baltimore printed, a po printed the poem in a booklet that he gave to his parishioners. The cover of the booklet included the church's name and the year it was founded. Old St. Paul's Church, Baltimore, 1692. And so people began to conclude that the contents of the booklet dated to that time. And some of those people made posters, and one of those posters ended up in my cousin's basement. Also of note, Desiderata didn't become famous until well after Max Ehrman's death in 1945. He would be surprised at the number of coffee mugs bearing his words. I'm not sure which of these historical details I was aware of when I purchased my calligraphy version in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but I was happy to have a copy that was in something other than my own terrible handwriting. Actually, I was mostly happy. As a professional editor, I did spot a few errors in the text of my purchase. Two of them are right near the end. Ehrman's original text mentions the sham, drudgery, and broken dreams of this world. But the version I bought substituted shame for sham. I don't disagree that shame is a problem in many people's lives. But especially in recent years and the present day, it is both shamelessness and shams that are proving catastrophic. Also of note is that the original closing words of the poem were, be cheerful, strive to be happy. But in the version I own and in many popular versions, be cheerful has been changed to be careful. Be careful or be cheerful. Those are two very different messages and perhaps two very different worldviews. The world is a place to be joyful versus the world is a place to be afraid. This reminds me of articles I've read about the linguistic shift that has happened when someone we know is going on a trip. People used to say farewell with phrases like bon voyage, have a good trip. And now it's far more common to hear safe travels. Two different messages, two different worldviews. So now if you're ever copying down Desiderata by hand or ordering up a calligraphed copy on the internet, 
you may have to decide between be careful and be cheerful. And of course, it's not a bad thing to be both. The rest of the poem seems to be pretty consistent across time and the various publications. And many of those verses have been a good fit with my life and my beliefs. One line that's always stood out for me is near the top. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. I've come to realize that I've tried to do this throughout my life. Being good to others and having harmonious relationships with them is an idea that's found in all kinds of theologies, from Christianity's do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to the loving kindness found in Hebrew scriptures and Buddhist writings, to the inherent worth and dignity of each person. That's part of our Unitarian Universalist principles. Being on good terms with all persons has many benefits, but it asks a lot. On life's most trying days, sometimes just being on neutral terms may be an achievement. But I like the aspiration and I also like Ehrman's caveat. Be on good terms, but without surrender. In other words, be nice, but don't be a doormat. Being on good terms may not be worth it if your values or soul are the price paid. Solid advice for the ages. Another reminder that I've found helpful is this one. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. This thought is a version of a shorter and much older aphorism that dates to the 15th century. Comparisons are odious. Or, as Shakespeare played with it, comparisons are odorous. But even though it's far from an original idea, I like how the poem spells out the fact that the game of comparisons, the game of comparisons is, not, is one you can't ever win. There will always be greater and lesser persons. We live in a hyper-competitive society where we judge and rank everything from athletes to airlines to the vegetables at the county fair. This past summer when we had our FUS talent show, many people I talked with assumed it was a contest and not simply a celebration. So the idea that you'll be happier if you stop plugging yourself into a hierarchy is a fine message. And because our hyper-competitive culture is always asking more of us, because others frequently may try to put us in boxes into which we may not fit, I appreciate Ehrman's reminder to be yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. The placing of us human beings on a par with the trees and the stars reminds me of the Native American concept of all my relations, in which mountains and animals and people are all considered cousins. This is a far cry from the old Judeo-Christian concept of humans having dominion over everything else. And the idea of being yourself that you have a right to be here can be especially helpful for those of us who have had to come out in our lives as gay or lesbian or bi or queer or transgender, or really for anyone of a marginalized identity, or even, a, even anyone who's slightly out of the mainstream. Seeing the words on the printed page or hearing them aloud, be yourself, and you have a right to be here, can be powerful, radical, and life-saving. If there's one phrase from Desiderata that I personally should have made into its own large separate plaque, it is this. Do not distress yourself with imaginings. 
My framed version of the full poem says imaginings without the phrase dark, which is from the original. I actually think the omission is an improvement because the word dark is unnecessary. Humans don't generally get distressed over positive imaginings. I have a vivid and nonstop imagination, which is mostly a good thing. But like many people, I have been distressing myself with, distressing myself with imaginings nearly full time for the past four years. And it's not helpful that a lot of those imaginings have become terrible realities. The poem isn't saying don't imagine or even don't imagine bad things. Imagining bad things can be a good way to head them off. Like, for example, in a pandemic. The important piece is to keep those imaginings in perspective and not let them get to the point of distress. Another piece of good advice. I want to return a bit to the story of my calligraphed copy of Desiderata. Not long after I acquired it, I bought my first condo, framed the poem, and hung it on the wall for all to see. I still didn't love the look of it, but I liked being reminded of what I considered wise words. Then one day a friend of mine was at my house and she saw the poem, and she proceeded to deconstruct, dismantle, and demolish it. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, she sneered. I want to be the noise and haste. She basically thought the whole thing was drivel and she wanted me to know. I guess she was following its advice to be yourself, but she was kind of embodying the line about loud and aggressive persons being vexations to the spirit. She certainly was vexing my spirit. She was a Minneapolitan who was young and hip while I was feeling like a Minneapolitan who was merely young, burned by a frilly, antiquated poem. But she did have a point. I may not prefer to be around loud and aggressive people, but without loud, aggressive people, we would not have women's rights or LGBTQ rights or civil rights or racial or reproductive justice. Sometimes we need noise and haste to get where we want to go. I've had other quibbles and questions with the text in the years since. There was a time in my life when I found comfort in the phrase, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. But as I've become more humanist or simply seen more of life, I no longer relate to the should in that sentence. I appreciate the idea of, of accepting things that happen, but I don't perceive it, perceive that there's anything behind the as it should. The pandemic, just for starters, is not unfolding anything like the way it should. I don't see a conscious organized intentionality behind the events of the universe. So for me, the right wording about accepting what happens is more along the lines of, the universe is unfolding as it will. Sometimes I miss the certainty that comes with the belief that there's a kind of overall plan, but I save a lot of energy not thinking about the plan or arguing with the plan or wondering what might be behind it, especially in a world with so much pain. I find it's better to focus on what humans can plan to make things better. I've also found, must found myself skeptical of the idea that we should surrender gracefully the things of youth. On the one hand, there's something to be said for accepting the things you cannot change about the aging process. Certain abilities and activities and energy levels may be gone for good. But in her book, This Chair Rocks, a Manifesto Against Ageism, Ashton Applewhite declares that, quote, 
There is no such thing as age appropriate. And she calls on older people to wear what they want, dance, what they, dance when they want, go rock climbing if they want. If Max Ehrman were alive today, I bet he and Applewhite could have a very lively debate about what exactly are the things of youth. And I'm betting that I would land more on Applewhite's side. So over time, there came to be some distance between Desiderata and me. And it occurred to me that if I were to surrender the things of youth, maybe Desiderata was one of those things. After my most recent move to a new home a few years back, my framed Desiderata didn't make it onto the walls. I had been thinking less frequently about the text, and this time it really didn't go with the decor. But I will admit that sometimes it does feel like the universe might be giving us a nudge. Because just last month, in the online chat of the young adult group here at FUS, out of the blue, somebody shared a photo of Desiderata. A photo, in fact, of the copy that they have hanging in their office and that they find comfort in, especially in these trying times. Other young adults in the group gave it likes and expressed gratitude and shared an inspiring quote or two of their own. Desiderata managed to show up and surprise me yet again. And despite its imperfections, I'm grateful to be engaging with its, with its ideas once more. In this prolonged time of challenge and tragedy, may each of us find strength from the sources that speak to us. May we look at old texts in new ways and take comfort in the wisdom they've always given. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Strive to be happy. Thank you for tuning in, and happy solstice to all. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.